Our sermon scripture this morning comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, come and speak to us now. Would you show us your goodness and your love and allow your words and your scripture and your spirit to make us more like you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. This morning in our scripture, Paul talks about running a race. And there's various different analogies that you uh, could use to describe what, what Paul was trying to say. I thought about connecting it to the Boy Scouts, and, and we could do that, but I was not a Boy Scout. Um, uh, my father and my grandfather were Boy Scouts, but I, I did not go that route. But I do remember in high school, one of the things that I gave a lot of my time to was band. And especially I was thinking about a marching band. And so I wanted to talk just a little bit about marching band because marching band's interesting uh, and it's uh, a cool thing, but uh, one of the dreaded things about marching band is the period of time in the summer that they call band camp, right? So, so at my school, I actually, we did two weeks of band camp in the heat outside in the, in the sweat and all that. And so people in marching band would give up two weeks of their summer vacation to start doing this. And, and band camp wasn't just like, you know, just a few hours each day. For, for my school, we had band camp from 8 a.m. in the morning to at least 5 o'clock at night. If not many days, it ran to 8 o'clock at night. So it was a full day thing, but most of the time 12 hours a day, and, and it was Monday through Friday. Band camp was really intense. So what we did was in the morning we would be outside because it was cooler in the morning. So we would get there early in the morning and and we would do all our stretches and whatnot. And then uh, they would start to teach us how to march. And so you had to march with your toes up right. And they had all these different uh, things that they tell you how to march right. And then so you're marching forward and then you also got to learn to march backwards. So you practice the fundamentals of marching. And, And then once you get like good enough at that, not just you, but the whole band, they get, you get good enough at that, you start going over your show and your different movements and, and how to get the places in the correct time with the right amount of steps and how far you got to go. And, and so that was generally your morning. <laughs> Normally you're relatively sweaty and that's not fun. So, so then you have lunch and then in the afternoon you go inside because it's warmer, right? And um, you go inside and, and you're practicing your instrument. So you go over all the scales, all the warm-ups, and, and you would play either with your group. I was a trombone player, so I would play with the trombones or I would play with the brass or we would do full band as well. And, and we would run through the music and 
to learn our music, and, and we would learn it well. But then on top of that, once you could play it relatively well, you had to start to memorize it, right? Because when you're out there on the marching band field, you, you have to have it memorized when you're playing the show. And so, so that was normally the afternoon, and then we had dinner, and we would come back, and in the evening we were outside again, doing either more fundamentals or doing more uh, running through our show and playing as we marched. And so I remember these two weeks of band camp, and especially as like when I was younger and, and freshman and sophomore, I remember it being just really grueling and really hard and sweaty. And whenever we would take a water break or, or whatever, I remember the older folks and our leaders saying, uh, this is really hard. But when we get to fall, when we get to the time later in the year when we're going to competitions, and we're playing together, um, you'll be thankful that you put the work in now so, th- so that later we can play a beautiful show and that we can win prizes later. Because you do it and you go to competition. This was a, just a picture of uh, a band practicing with the, you know, the sunset going down. Uh, but you do put all this energy in at the beginning and, and practicing and, and running through things so that when the time comes... You can perform the way that you want to perform. So our scripture today, Paul is talking about this kind of thing, but applying it to the Christian life. So he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So so what Paul's not saying, he's not saying in the Christian life only one person gets the prize, because if that was the case, we'd all be, you know, out of the race. We're not winning. Jesus won. But, but he's saying that we should run in a way that, that we're trying to do something to gain the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. It's not aimless. I, I live a purposeful life. The things I do are with purpose. And they're leading me somewhere. And do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave. I I tell myself, don't do certain things that I really want to do in the moment. But I know are not good. I make my body a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so it's interesting because uh, the first Corinthians is a letter from the, the first century, from a first century man named Paul, and he was a Christian, and he was writing to a first century church, and they had various things that were, were uh, they had problems at, at that church, and, and so he's writing and he's discussing some of these different problems, and, and right before this passage, what Paul is talking about is he's actually talking about freedom. He's talking about uh, what it means for a Christian to have freedom, right? And, and it's really important to note our, our current like historical uh, place in our culture and where we are in, in our understandings of freedom, our, our modern American and uh, in, in like 21st century understanding of freedom is a little bit different than the freedom that Paul talks about. I remember growing up, so I had, I had an older brother that was like six years older than me, and I remember growing up and sometimes uh, we would do something 
or we'd be getting into something, and oftentimes I would say, like, I, I don't know if we should be doing this. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, the right thing or whatnot. And I remember sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes the response <laughs> my brother would give to me, I remember, and it's kind of funny. He said, we're Americans. We can do what we want because we have the freedom to do what we want, right? And so this, there's this philosophy in America that kind of helps us govern our country, that we don't like telling other people what to do, and, and we want to be able to do whatever we want to do in the moment. And, and honestly, I think that's a pretty decent understanding uh, for the idea of, of governing a type of people. But the, we have a problem with that when it gets applied to all of our lives, and if we think this is the way that we ought to live, because, because it turns into uh, just this cultural idea of, of do whatever makes you happy. Just do whatever you feel like in the moment, right? Just, you know, it, it doesn't matter. We don't have any rules. It's just do what you ever want to do. And, and that's kind of the philosophy of today in our culture. You do, you do uh, whatever you think is best in the moment. But there's, there's a problem with that philosophy, and the problem confronts you every time you go to Kroger or Walmart. And uh, you get your stuff and you're waiting in line. And uh, maybe you're looking down at your phone. But if you, if, you, if you look up from your phone and you look at the magazines right there, right? And there's always a magazine there. And on the front of one of the magazines is going to be this delicious looking piece of chocolate cake, right? <laughs> and you're like, man, I really want that. And they know how to market that. But then either right next to it or on the other side of the aisle, they have this fitness magazine with this picture of this extremely fit person. Often, you know, it's a, a, you know it could be a man with, you know, six-pack abs. And then you're like, but I want that too. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, well, which one do you really want? And, and we're faced with this problem of competing desires. That we, in and of ourselves, have different desires that would actually put us into opposite directions for our lives. I can want both of these things at exactly the same time. And when someone says, well, just do what feels right in the moment, it doesn't really help us. And so, as we think about the understanding of Christian freedom, the question is, what is freedom really? Is it the ability to just give in to whatever we want to in the moment? Is it just the ability to eat the cake whenever we feel like eating the cake? Or is freedom something else? Now, I don't want to go to the other end of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum in our culture right now is this idea that I can just do whatever I want, and it doesn't matter because it makes me feel good. The other end of the spectrum is the path that uh, we think of often as Buddhism takes, that our desires are what causes harm in the world, that all the evil in the world is because of we desire all these different things, and the path to what they would call nirvana is just to get rid of all desire and just quit wanting things or, or wanting, uh, yeah, desiring things in our life. And in, in the Buddhist tradition, nirvana or heaven is actually ceasing to exist, just not having anything at all there. But that's not the Christian way. 
The Christian way, what Jesus talks about, what Paul talks about, and especially what I think of a, a certain saint, a certain historical Christian talked about this a lot, was the Saint Augustine. That the way of a Christian is not to just give in to everything that we want and our desires in our lives, but it's also not saying that all our desires are evil and and bad and we just got to get rid of all of them. No, what the Christian understands is that we have to order our desires. And so in this quote, I love this quote from Augustine, he uses the word love in, in a very similar, you could replace it with desires as well. So what he says is by living, but living a just and holy life requires that one be capable of objective and impartial evaluation of things. To love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not fail to love what we should be loved, or have a greater love for what should be loved less. So I love pizza, and I love my dog, and I love, you know, my wife or whatever. There's an order there, right? (laughs) You're not supposed to love pizza. I'm not married, but that's just an example. Sorry. Um, My family, like, there's an order there. I need to place my family above my love for my dog and my love for pizza. Exactly, right? And so what if, so what if Christian freedom, what is true freedom, is not about giving in to, or being able to just do whatever I want. What if this is a picture of what true freedom is? So the Olympics are going on. This is the skater Nathan Chin, and he, he, he won gold this year. And, and what, if, what if real freedom is being able to perform a gold medal performance on the skating ring when the time comes? What if that is what real freedom is? And, and after he won gold, he had this interview, and the interviewer asked him about, well, what, what helped you get to this place? And he literally responded with blood, sweat, and tears. And so for, for Nathan, he, I'm sure there were many days where he wanted to sleep until noon, right? But he didn't. Because he had his eyes on something else. I'm sure there were many times where he wanted to eat the chocolate cake or whatever else that he had desired, but he he didn't. Because he had his eyes on something else. I'm sure there were nights where he was tired and wanted to go home and not continue skating, but he didn't. And, And to be honest, this is a picture of the Christian life because we read earlier from the Gospel of Luke and the teachings of Jesus about love. And what Jesus says is, love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you. And, and the thing is, if, if you just try to just do that randomly, it's not going to work. We don't have the capability to just love on our own. If we want the life of Jesus, if we want to live with the love that Jesus has, we have to adopt his lifestyle. And we have to live the way that he lived. And so what if freedom looks more like self-discipline and self-control? This is the idea that the the ancient people had when they talked about freedom. They they talked about the virtuous person be a person that had control over all the person's faculty, all all the things, the ways they acted and their desires, that they had control over that. And and I don't know anyone that if you like talk to them about self-control, they'd be like, 
no, that's, that's not something I'm going at. Like, like it's, not, it's not cool or fun to not have control over yourself, right? So I got a picture here of the opposite. This, some of you guys might not know what this is, of the opposite of self-control. But this, is, uh, this was a few years back, like six or seven years ago. This is a soccer player, Luis Suarez. And I'm in the soccer, so uh, that's why I came up with this example. But like, he's a great soccer player, so he has discipline in training himself. But there, it, there, this happened multiple times. It was not just one time. But this guy in a soccer match got so upset at someone, let his anger boil over to the point where he bit someone on the soccer field. He just went up and bit him. And okay, he has a different culture than us, but that's still quite strange. And so I'm like, okay, Luis, like, like, man, I bet your mom is really proud of you right now. (laughs) Like, that, like, who wants that to happen to them? Who doesn't want to have self-control and the ability to do the things that we want to do, to love like Jesus loved, to care for the people that we want to? And so the question that we ought to ask Paul and what he's talking about in this passage this morning, he's talking about running to get the prize and, and to run in such a way as we get a prize. And he's saying this prize is more important than everything else. Right? And it's interesting because the New Testament, this is a side note, but the New Testament never actually says you should do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Jesus and Paul both understand that humans live for a reward, that we chase after rewards. And both Jesus and Paul say, I want you to consider the greater reward, the eternal reward. And so when Paul is talking about freedom, he's talking about living in community and in caring for one another deeply. And, and he's, he's writing this letter and he kind of gets, he talks about all these different things and then he comes to a climax of the letter. And you've probably heard some of this. He's talking about gifts in the church and he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire, all these things are important, all these things are good. And then he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he he wraps up that chapter by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the love that Jesus was talking about in our passage in Luke. This is what real freedom looks like in the Christian life. The capacity to love others. Like, I don't know anyone that, like, is super excited about their sin. Like, I don't know anyone that's, like, you know, I love it that my anger takes me over to the point of where I hurt people that I love, that I care about. No one says that. No, no one loves the addictions in their life that cause other people harm. When we talk about love, 
Perhaps this is the deepest desire of our heart. But we can't do it on our own. We need God and we need to devote ourselves to living the lifestyle and the way of life that Jesus lived in order to become like him. So one of my questions today is, some of my questions today are these, what type of person do you want to be? And who are you becoming based on your current trajectory? Are you becoming a person of love and joy and peace and kindness? Are you spreading that around you? Or are you on a different trajectory? And perhaps is it time for a change? Beyond this, I've just one more place that Paul talks about the prize or what is most important to Paul beyond loving people. He says this in, in, in a different letter to the Philippians. He says, but whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of their surpassing worth. And, and note what he says. He doesn't say because of their surpassing worth of, of getting to preach Jesus or uh, getting to tell others and, and, and getting more people uh, to be baptized and saved. He doesn't say uh, for having really cool music on Sunday morning. I consider everything lost because of that. No. He doesn't even say I consider everything lost for the sake of miracles like those are cool or things that I could do for Jesus. No, he says I consider everything lost for the sake of knowing Jesus. Just being in a relationship with God, living life with God, and all the rest becomes garbage if we know the true Jesus and if we know God. So a couple of questions. Is the prize you are living for worth it? Is it eternal? And is it really the best you can get? Because the aim of the Christian life is life with God. To have an ever-deepening relationship with the God of the universe. And God himself is worth everything. What it means to love and be loved by him is worth giving our lives to. Not doing things for him but just being with him. That's what the Christian life is about. So in the, in the fall, in high schools, we would go to competitions and, and we would, you know, dress up in the uniforms and we would, we would perform together. And, and we would make music that led to crescendos. And we would compete for the prize. And perhaps those weeks in summer in, in band camp were worth it to perform something beautiful together, right? Maybe uh, today uh, you want to experience what Paul has experienced. That you want to understand, you, you want to know what it means that a relationship with Jesus is worth more than anything. And maybe you haven't experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that to some point, but you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God. And so I want to invite you to pray, to open your heart up to 
what God might be doing in your life and to ask the Lord what your next step in your relationship with him is. What is he calling you to?